welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again. My name is Father Ryan Betwin. I'm one of the pastors here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Really excited to be with all, all of you, especially uh, a special hello and welcome to all the fathers here. Happy Father's Day to you. And um, we're, this is my first Father's Day as a, as a dad. I've been a father for a few years, uh, but the first opportunity I've had on a Father's Day to be with the flock in person, so um, it's a real blessing to be uh, with all of you today, uh, worshiping. Um, If you will, please uh, join with me as we pray for today's message. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, we bring to you, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all we are and all we have. May you bless the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth, that they may be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, um, mentioned today is Father's Day, and um, I have a, a newborn at home. She's seven weeks old, and she's... Uh, I know some of you have uh, asked about her. Some of you have downright threatened that if you don't get the opportunity to meet her very soon, there's going to be negative consequences. You know who you are. Don, she just stepped out, so there you go. Um, I'm, I, I have had the, the chance to um, get to know my little baby girl uh, quite a bit, obviously, and I've also had the chance to recognize her uh, unique personality in a lot of ways. Uh, but what I, what I find interesting is that she also knows uh, me. Specifically, she knows us, Chrissy and I, my wife. But, but uh, as a, a new baby girl, you, you would assume if she can't even quite recognize what her hands and feet are, she probably wouldn't be able to recognize uh, another human being in relationship to her. But that's just not the case. Uh, the other day, Christy came home from running errands, and there were a couple of other people there as well, and including me. And uh, the, the second she walked in and said hello, um, uh, Vidiana's eyes just lit up. And uh, she started looking around and was visibly uh, anxious. She kind of does one of these. And you're like, whoa, just, it's okay. She's not going anywhere. It's all right. And, and so there was like an excitement. There was a certainty. And uh, she, she really knows who her, her, her parents are and specifically who her mom is. She knows where, uh, where her uh, her sustenance comes from. She knows where her uh, her daily bread comes from. She knows uh, who it is that she is following. And, and in the same way, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at the gospel passage today. In the same way, we notice that the uh, we're going to see that the the disciples know Jesus. They know the good shepherd. They know. 
the Father through the Son. And, and they know who it is they're following. But what we're, what we're going to recognize is uh, they, they don't always necessarily know where they're going in, in that following. And, and they don't always know what ends they are following for. And, in fact, they, they don't always know what it is that is going to be expected of them. And so, too, with us in our discipleship. And so the main point that I want to explore today is the discipleship. Uh, specifically, disciples follow Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, wherever he goes. Disciples follow Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, wherever he goes. And, and that's... Um, so, uh, I wanted to start with... So, disciples follow Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. The... The disciples, from the jump, they, they know Jesus, and we see that in our passage. He, they are alone with him. The disciples were with him, it says in, uh, in verse 18. And, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? He's asking everyone else. You, you guys are here with me now, but uh, the crowds, the, the larger ones that also follow us around, who do they say? And, and there's some ambiguity there. There's some uncertainty. They say, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Others say, well, it, it's the prophets of old. Okay, so there's, there's this ambiguity. There's this uncertainty. But notice in verse 20, he points right to Peter and says, okay, Peter, so who do you say I am? Who, who is it that you say? How do, what's your testimony about me? You've seen me do amazing things. We see the passage just before this, Luke uh, puts the feeding of 5,000 people on what is essentially uh, weekend leftovers. This is an amazing display of his power. And he's done so many other things up to this point. Who do you, Peter, of all the crowd, of all the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly simply says he says you he says uh, the Christ of God you are the Christ of God so the disciples rightly identified Jesus as Christ as the Messiah so these disciples of Jesus are those who genuinely accept Jesus as God in Christ he is the God-man. They have lived with Jesus long enough to see this power at work. And that, that has never been the problem for the disciples, recognizing him. When he said to follow them, they, they went. They went with him, and they followed him. They followed him from the jump. And just as, just as we're able to recognize intuitively those people that we trust and don't trust in our lives, so... The disciples recognized and trust Jesus from the beginning. So they, they see his identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the expected one to come. And our discipleship is similar. We're here today in part because we, we come. We, we know Jesus. We, we know there's something valuable about Jesus. At the very least... There's a reason we're here today. Maybe it's that someone dragged you here uh, against your will. 
uh, or, or maybe it's because you too like these disciples recognize that Jesus is in fact the Messiah he is the one worth following but here's the thing about the disciples and about us it, it doesn't stop there very quickly Jesus flips the script he totally turns things on their head verse 21 he says something totally unexpected for the disciples he says and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one sometimes I feel sorry for the disciples in these stories see they did follow Jesus they recognized him as the Christ the Messiah, but for them it meant something very different than what Jesus has in store. See, he's again, he's flipping the script. They expected this strong, boisterous, courageous, conquering hero to establish the rule of Israel over Rome once and for all. To establish that kingdom of power. They, they expected a political leader a military leader to come. That's what the, by definition, that's what the Messiah meant. That's what it meant to come. And and in in fact, in the New Testament, even after Jesus leaves, you see many examples of of people who come and claim to be the the Messiah, who claim to be the one who will come and establish. And, And inevitably what they do is they go try to defeat Rome and they are defeated. Rome continues to maintain its power. So, so what's the deal? Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why on earth do you want us to keep silent? And then, in verse 22 and 23, they, he really blows up their spot. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Jesus uses this term, Son of Man, instead of Messiah. See, he's, he's not a Messiah who's come to establish this political kingdom in, in the form that the disciples expect. He's just not. But he's come to die. And sometimes conquering hero's death can inspire military victory as he valiantly carries that flag into battle and leads the troop onward, yelling, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Then after their death, the troops come in after and, and, and establish that great vision that they had in power and in glory. But this is not what Jesus means. He means I'm going to die. Certainly death, and and it's going to be relatively nondescript, and everyone will desert me. Because I have to suffer many things and be rejected. Be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the scribes. He doesn't say it here, but he says it other places. Be rejected even by you, each and every one of you. And in fact, be rejected even by my Father in heaven. That is what Jesus, the Son of Man, has come to do. To 
to establish a kingdom of glory that will last forever. That defines his expectations. And that's the discipleship he's calling these disciples into. See, Jesus' death, Jesus' death is no accident. It's a divine act of necessity as a display of God's love for us and for the world in Christ Jesus. It's a display of his loving kindness, the suffering of the Son of Man, ultimately to the point of death on a cross, exemplified the Gospel's description. As it says in Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to be served in being propped up as king of a political kingdom that would ultimately crumble, but came to establish a kingdom of life that will last forever. He came to not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus acts in accordance with God's authority as the Son of Man, for he is the co-creator and co-actor in, alongside God's actions in the world. His actions, not just of power in his, uh, in, in his life, not just the displays of miracles, but in fact the act of obediently taking the cross, of laying down his own life in obedience to the call of God the Father. And as the Spirit leads him, so he takes this cross. So so where does this leave us? As disciples, if, if that's the discipleship, that that these disciples were called into, then so too it's a discipleship that we are called into. See, Jesus' call to discipleship leads us following Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And I'm anticipating what you're thinking here. Why on earth would we follow that Jesus? It seems really difficult. And yes, he is inherently promising that those who follow him will follow him not into glory first, but into suffering first, into trials and tribulations, so that the glory to come, so that it can happen. In verse 23 and 24, we get a picture of what this discipleship looks like. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's crazy. What, an, what a strange paradox. To lose one's life will save it. But to save one's life... But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It is contingent entirely upon trusting the one who is saying 
that I am in fact going to suffer and die at the hands of my enemies. See, the real enemies here are not those who will take Jesus' life. The real enemies of the discipleship linger underneath. The true spiritual enemies of, of our discipleship lurk everywhere in our hearts and in the world, the flesh and the devil around us. I want to focus specifically on two such enemies today. There are so many, but I chose two, apathy and perfectionism. And I want to just see how those work out here in this passage. Uh, I, I, I figure everyone can either relate to one of these two or you don't care, which would be apathy, or, or you uh, are trying so hard that, you're, uh, that you don't want to apply anything, which would be perfectionism. So it either, it either works or you'll have to go listen again later with a more soft heart. So there you go. Um, but what happens with these enemies of our soul, these enemies of our discipleship, they, they, they're so... Uh, it often just stops us in our track. It's not that we, we don't desire to follow Jesus, but, but apathy and perfectionism, these things keep us from, they stunt our intimacy with Jesus. They stunt the depth to which we desire to go in our communion with God. And, and frankly, when we choose to, um, when, we, when these things, uh, when apathy and perfectionism impede our progress, impede our growth with Jesus, impede our discipleship, um, it demonstrates a certain distrust in God's good design for our discipleship. Okay? So, so apathy is the antithesis of discipleship because it brings us to a place where we say there is no thing that can hold back hold us back um, we, we continue to say that there's nothing that can hold us back from Jesus the, the, no fidelity no relationship no self identity no emotion nothing is so precious to us that we hold on to it with a grip so tight that even J- Jesus can't take it but what apathy says is, is no we're, we're disengaged from that process see with apathy, we can even recognize the, the intellectual or even the spiritual importance of discipleship, of following Jesus, of paying the price to follow him. But this does not, we do not find uh, discipleship terribly urgent. We may recognize the importance of it, but it never finds a place in our daily lives. I've run three marathons in my life. Um, two I ran pretty well, just a little bit over my uh, aim of my time at four hours. And the other one I won't mention the timing because it went terribly wrong. And um, But I finished, and that's awesome. Um, I, the, the, the thing about a marathon is that it's, it's obviously terribly arduous, but we, I, I knew each time I was hitting a milepost where I was in the race. When I hit the middle, it, inevitably right at the middle of the race, I would hit this, sur- I get this surge of energy. Oh my gosh, I'm on the backside now. I'm at the end of the race. 
and I felt super excited at, at mile 13.1. There's people cheering you on, and it's very exciting. And inevitably, at 16.1, I, I would just often just stop and walk for about a mile because it feels horrible. I don't know why anyone would do this uh, for fun. I did it because I wanted to prove a point. That's truly all I did it for. Um, and I'll never do it again. But with a, again, with a marathon, you have not just, it's not just that you know how far you're running, but in fact there's mileposts all the way along the way. It, with discipleship, it almost seems unfair. I don't know how long my life will be. And if I'm called into discipleship to, to follow Jesus, my life, for, for, for my entire life, it, it, it seems uh, psychologically for me that's so hard. That hardship and suffering would last for a lifetime. Jesus, that, that's terrible. Not only is the pain difficult, but it's also hard because I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know when it's going to end. But what Jesus says, does here is he points not to merely the lifetime of discipleship, but he, he attacks apathy by saying, it, it, it's not, I want it to constantly be a matter of urgency for you, that you follow me daily. Follow me daily. The, the language here says daily, but the, um, what the expression is, in fact, that um, throughout the day, you're pursuing Jesus. The priority that's right in front of you, whether it be taking care of your child or cooking food for your roommate or doing a certain task on a Friday afternoon that you told your boss you were leaving early for and now you have to stay an extra hour later than you usually stay because you have to do it. Whatever it is that's right in front of you, you do according to your discipleship for Jesus. You do as one who lays down their life and cares for the flock and cares for those around them. That's what we're called to in our discipleship. We're called to follow the spirit of life. We're called each and every priority we take up to follow Jesus. To deny our fidelity to ourselves. So apathy in and of itself has no part because our discipleship is constantly urgent. It's always the next thing we're doing. It's not just that we check our spiritual box each day, but that in fact throughout the day we go about following Jesus following him into the life we're meant to live. This call also pushes back against perfectionism for us. Perfectionism says either that we are, that, that this bar is far too high for me to actually meet, and therefore the standard is too great, and so I won't pursue it beyond a, a, a level that I'm comfortable with. Or perfectionism says, I have failed already. 
and therefore am unworthy to continue as a disciple, and therefore I will not pursue anymore. Either way, it, sh- it's, it's, it shows us denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and asking Jesus where he's going. Asking Jesus, is it comfortable there? Will I find success? Is there at least a view of the city where you're going? Is there at least some reward? What's in it for me? Whatever it is, perfectionism asks where Jesus is going or what the destination is before it follows. We all do this. We all stop in our tracks inevitably and say, Jesus, where are you going? I'm not sure I want to go there. We, we all are meant to consider the cost of our discipleship, but inevitably we're, we're called to follow him because he is the good shepherd of our hearts. He is the good shepherd of our lives. He is the father who loves us. He's the son who has proven to us that he is willing not just to talk the talk but to walk the walk and he gives us the spirit to indwell us and to empower us to overcome our need to do it perfectly or to know with utter certainty to let go and trust to trust God our heavenly father who promises that the the discipleship that we're born into will in fact deliver us no matter what the cost to our lives so just as Jesus the son of God the Son of Man has, has to endure troubles in this life and even die. So too, we're called in our discipleship to die. To die to ourselves. To deny ourselves. To take up our cross daily. And throughout the day, to, re- to follow Jesus again. And, and this is the call that we give Not so that we end in death, but so that we may, just as Jesus rises, so rise with him in glory. So as we approach the table today, I I offer you that opportunity now, and in this moment, to to come forward and, and demonstrate that next step of your discipleship. That next step to say, Jesus, where are you going? But wherever you're going, I'm coming with you. I'm prepared to follow you, to take up my cross and follow you. Let us pray. Holy Father, thank you that you are a good God, that you shepherd our hearts, that you lead us in the ways of righteousness and peace. Thank you for showing us the way of the cross and giving us 
the call to lay down our lives and our fidelity to ourselves, to take up our cross and our sufferings each day, and to follow you, our loving and kind God, wherever you go. Lead us today to yourself and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.